But if for some reason they have this qualifier on TV, I might watch some games. The reason being, I can watch Team Philippines, greatest player, the Philippines' greatest export, the greatest athlete in Philippines history. Are you ready for the greatest athlete in the history of the Philippines, Dave? You know who's going to be the bulkhead, the steward of the Team Philippines baseball team? I don't think I am, but let me hear it. Prepare yourselves. Tim Tebow. Are you What? Yes. How? You are listening to episode 43 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Blah, 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 the spiel to unqualified idiots. Dave's here. I, you know, I kind of like that spiel better. Like, I think we should just roll with that from now on. Listen, it's going to really depend on my on my mood that day. And this is one of those ones where, uh, where the, this the more streamlined, the better, the better it is. Because really, we want to get to the meat and potatoes. We got, we got to talk some serious NL Central. But before that, we do have a couple of news and notes. And the return, if, if any of you can hold back, you strain yourselves from the excitement of the pretentious cross-country running report. But we'll get to that in a minute. So first, I'm going to quickly outline what's going to be on the podcast. We are going to talk about the NL Central. That is going to be a thing. We're going to talk a little bit about the Raptors uh, because we haven't really spoken anything about basketball at all. Uh, a lot of that comes from the fact that I just don't watch a lot of basketball. But Dave uh, has some recent experience dealing with a little bit about the Raptors. So he's got a couple of thoughts on that. And then I'm also going to talk a little bit about uh, week three of the XFL that came. And then we're early into week four. So as we speak right now, the Saturday games have happened. The Sunday games have yet to occur. But I do have some thoughts based on kind of what I saw in week three and then what I've seen in week four so far because there's a couple of interesting things in there and some interesting stories that have played into it and I think that's worthwhile so I'm going to leave it to I'm going to leave it to ditch man's choice Dave what would you like to talk about first in our little news and notes piece let's start Raptors all right the man wants to speak on some Raptors what do you got so um well I went to the game last night uh, they played Charlotte and they lost by three points in a game they had no business losing. But they shot basically 30%. I think it was actually 31% that they shot for the game, uh, which is horrible. Even if they'd shot, say, 35%, they would have won the game. Charlotte's that bad. But that is not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about are a couple things surrounding the game that I feel are worth noting. And the first is, brace yourself. Do you remember, Carlos, when you played you know, NBA Jam and you got to pick who your players were? Yes, that was one of the best parts, coming up with the right combination. Right? They have Raptors NBA Jam t-shirts. So you, they have different players on them, and then they have, like, the levels of, you know, like, their shooting or, the like, all their attributes underneath. And yes, Carlos, yes, I did get one. Of course you did. Which combination did you get, though? Uh, well, so they only had two that I saw, and I was like, oh, I kind of want that. Megan's like, my wife was like, do you, well, do you want me to get you one for Father's Day? And I was like, yes, done, book it. I got uh, Lowry and Van Vliet combo okay uh the other combo you could get was gasol siakam yeah that, i was kind of wondering because siakam's kind of the one who a lot of people are looking at who has elevated his game especially coming off last year into this year and he's become kind of the media darling he gets all the commercials so he's on a bunch of them and uh yeah no it would have made sense uh, the siakam would have been the one that i would have thought would have been probably probably both are decent sellers but uh definitely i would think siakam would be a popular one and you, you got to love how the nostalgia is coming back. Mind you, this is not surprising because if you really think about it, think about when NBA Jam came out. Almost all the people that would have been uh, playing that game or look, doing anything related to it have got to be in their 30s now, heading into their 40s. So people with disposable wow. income who have nostalgia. Sorry, Dave. Hashtag we're old. Man, yeah, exactly. Like, why do you have to keep making me feel old pretty much every time we record this podcast? The, the fa- you should be looking at the fact that your shirt has pixel art on it, Dave. That should make you feel old. 
Yeah, but still, Super it's Nintendo. so good, Carlos. Super so good. It, it, I still think it's the best basketball game ever made. <laughs> I, I, I agree, hands down. Yeah. I feel every basketball game moving forward should have an NBA Jam mode. The thing is, I feel like an opportunity was lost because there is room, and this is just a general thought that I have, in the world of sports, especially sports games, because games are their own thing. Some people like enjoy the games but don't even care about the sport. But for people that enjoy both and for people who like the game, there is a world always, I think, for an arcade-style game. Basketball is really great for that. NBA Jam was a simple enough concept. It's 2 on 2 basketball. But it works really well in a video game. And with today's graphics, you could really go... The having a guy go on fire with with modern graphics would look tremendous, and some of the sports yes. really work yes, very well for that arcade style. You could and you oh, could really sure. have a lot of fun with it, and basketball's Absolutely. perfect for that. Uh, you know, and I feel like I could just end my Raptors talk right here, uh, but <laughs> you may as well talk other, about the team, Dave, just for fun. There's, well, there's two other things I want to mention. One, uh, I would like to give a shout out to Superfan Navbatia, who I actually met last night for the first time. Uh, because I went down to see him because I heard he let people he's letting people try on the championship ring that he was given. So I do now have a picture of me wearing an official Raptors championship ring. Uh, and the man couldn't have been nicer and more accommodating. And so I just want to give him a shout out for that. I mean, th- that is the definition of a diehard fan. He's been to every single Raptors game since 1995 when the team was in, in their inaugural season. So you know what? He's a true fan and respect. I'll give it to him, uh, but one important thing I will point out, just so we're all on the same page here, part of I think what helps is that um, he did st- he did get on there, he did get right on the bandwagon early, which is you know good for him. But at the same time, I believe his businesses are, I believe he's to car dealerships. I think that's yes, his main business. That is correct. So it's one of those things where just bear in mind, you're, you're talking about somebody who can definitely afford. The man could have bought his own ring without any without any issue because those courtside seats are expensive. Oh, absolutely. And for all these, but he years, doesn't have to let anybody try it on. No, it's true. Does. But he's, but he also is in kind of the service business. A car dealership is a service business. Now he didn't give you his business card, but at the end of the day, you know who he is. And if you're in the business, and if you're in the market for a car, it's probably a good idea to keep your face out there and be the friendly face of the car dealership that he owns. For sure. So you know, sure. I, I don't doubt it for one second. But let, let's just bear in mind that there is also a little bit of a incentive for him not to be a jerk to everybody. No, fair enough. So, uh, the other thing. Um, NBA officiating is as frustrating in person as it is watching it on TV. And the I'm wondering, like the Raptors have had so many injuries this year. Uh, pretty much every single person on the team has been injured at some point. Uh, two people were out last night. Van Vliet was out and Ibaka was out. I feel if they had either one, and Gasol, who's been out for a while, even though Norman Powell came back and had a decent game. But I think either of Ibaka or um, Van Vliet, they would have won the game. Uh, but it's just one of those things that's like you keep wondering if people continue to get injured all the time, at what point does this actually catch up to the team? You know, they're going on a big West Coast road swing, although luckily most of the teams that they're playing aren't that good. Uh, they're playing Denver to, on Sunday night, which is probably the best of those teams that they're going to play. But they're also playing Golden State, who's garbage, the Suns, who are garbage, um, you know. So I'm not to to uh, Sacramento who's not that great I'm not too too worried about that but the question is at what point you know they've really weathered the storm they won 15 games straight with a bunch of people injured are these injuries going to catch up to them before the playoffs at sort of you know the worst possible time or is you know everyone going to get healthy at the right time and then you're really good going into the playoffs and I'm not sure because it's been sort of just a, a revolving door of okay who's healthy tonight yeah, no, I get it. I think the one one thing to bear in mind here is that um, realistically, 
the the Raptors are in a good position in the sense that they're playing in the East. And this year, the East, you know, if you look at Philadelphia, they've been a bit of a disaster because Ben Simmons got hurt and, you know, Embiid has been hurt recently. Uh, and the reality is Embiid can get hurt at any time. And Ben Simmons has been has been he hasn't had quite as many injury issues. So you look at Embiid. Embiid is supposed to be like the difference maker, but realistically, he could get hurt at any time, and he gets hurt all the time. And then Ben Simmons has the weakness to his game where his shooting isn't up to par. He doesn't really shoot three pointers, but he's a very good player. And seemingly, the two of them don't really—they're a little bit of oil and water. You're looking at two players who potentially are very, very good individually and with the right combination of players around them could be really good. And the, again, assuming Embiid's health, because that's been an issue for him, but assuming he's healthy, he can be a dominant player with the right combination of players around him. Ben Simmons can be very good with the right combination of players around him, but the two guys together just doesn't seem to work. So if you're looking at it from the Raptors perspective, the reason that relates to them is you're really looking at Milwaukee as your only legitimate competition in the East. Miami's playing well. Like there's teams that are playing well, but I really feel like if you are the Raptors and you are able to play well enough and get to a game and get to a series against Milwaukee, that's the team that you're looking at to potentially knock you off. And if you somehow get past Milwaukee, well, congratulations, you're in the NBA Finals again. Like yeah, that's exactly. really what you're looking at. If you can get to Milwaukee and then bypass Milwaukee. You're in the finals. Now, I I suspect more than likely, unless the West is a, a true war of attrition, which it might be, it could very well be, you're probably going to play one of the L.A. teams if you get to that finals. And that's really what you're looking at, and that's kind of the standard you have to measure yourself against. And both of those teams have things that could happen that could throw them off. But I think we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get closer to it. But that's just kind of, for me, I don't worry about the Raptors. One, because I don't watch a ton of regular season basketball. But even if I did, I wouldn't worry about the Raptors because they're in the East. And like this year, the way it's composed, the East is pretty much top heavy. I really think it's going to be one of Milwaukee or the Raptors coming out of the East. Oh, and it's just going to be matchups and timing and all that has to come together. There you have it, people. Carlos's early, early NBA predictions. Yeah, but I think that's an easy one. Like really, the I, Eastern Conference is the really easy one. Unless something really weird happens and some weird team comes out, like it really does feel like it's the Raptors if they can bypass Milwaukee. Otherwise, Milwaukee needs to get to the finals this year because I feel like this is the year they should do it. The expectation is they do, but if for some reason they falter, well, then that's the fumble the Raptors can pick up and carry. They could come. They could go back to back getting to the finals. Now, then whoever they play will be the key to what happens after that, but... Just getting there, I think, would be a huge accomplishment. So we'll see what happens, right? But uh, it's I think it's going to be interesting down the stretch. And I think, you know, if as long as the injuries don't get the better of them, I think the Raptors have as good a chance as anybody. I think that's fair. Now, can I give you a little uh, kind of a fun random uh, news and notes here? Of course you can. All right. So I wasn't going to talk too much about this, but I have to because it's too glorious. As you well know, uh, being a baseball guy, I'm a big fan of the world of the great World Baseball Classic. And the thing is, I haven't talked too much about the World Baseball Classic other than allusions I've made to it because, you know, the next edition of the World Baseball Classic isn't until 2021, which is miserable for me because I really would like to have this. I would prefer if you I would I, I kind of like that three year schedule. I would prefer a two year schedule, but the three year schedule I could live with the four year is killing me. Like waiting for the next one is, is murderous. But this year, you're going to have a couple of qualifiers where Team Panama tries once again to get back into the damn tournament they started in because they can't win a freaking game in the tournament. So they're going to play in the qualifiers. Now, amongst the different teams that are going to play in the qualifiers, there's a bunch of very interesting teams that could try to qualify their way in. Why am I bringing this up right now? Because it's just a qualifier for a tournament that isn't happening until next year. The reason I'm bringing this up is because as part of, I don't know if they're going to have it on TV, 
But if for some reason they have this qualifier on TV, I might watch some games. The reason being, I can watch Team Philippines, greatest player, the Philippines' greatest export, the greatest athlete in Philippines history. Are you ready for the greatest athlete in the history of the Philippines, Dave? You know who's going to be the bulkhead, the steward of the Team Philippines baseball team? I don't think I am, but let me hear it. Prepare yourselves. Tim Tebow. Are you What? Yes. How? Is because it, he was it? born in the Philippines, Dave. His family was on a mission. He was born in the Philippines. So Tim Tebow will be starring for Team Philippines in the World Baseball Classic Qualifier. I will watch that. I, I warned you. That. I told you all, and now you know, and now you cannot unknow. No, I can't. And I'm, I'm not sure how I should react to that news. You should react with shock and awe is what you should react with. That, that's what I got when I, when I said, like, Philippines? Really? Haven't those people suffered enough? But the, yeah, there you go. So Tim Tebow will be playing for the Philippines in Tucson at the World Baseball Classic Qualifiers. Set your DVRs, assuming it's on some kind of a TV somewhere. Oh, my goodness. That but is yeah. a random news to note, Dave. You weren't ready for that, were you? I am not ready for it. I was not ready for it. I don't think I could ever possibly be ready for that type of news. But I want to watch the games now. I don't know what to believe in anymore, Dave. I, You know what? I can't. And I honestly couldn't tell you what to believe in. So I don't know what to either, Carlos. I'm sorry. So that's a random news note for you. It is very random. But I mean, we are full of unnecessary tidbits. So there you go. Yes. And that is the definition of unnecessary. And the people of the Philippines will riot in solidarity of anger of my statement of Tim Tebow's greatness in Philippine sports history. But now you all know. He was born in the Philippines. So I guess that's legit. There we go. Them's the rules, folks. All right. One more uh, thing we'll do before we get into the the seriousness that is, you know, a little XFL and pretentious cross-country running. It's coming. All right. Uh, one more thing. I wanted to quickly talk about this. Uh, it already happened. So it's not like this is new news. It's not news. But uh, Alexander Veskin not only scored a 700th goal, he's at 701. But one thing that I feel like the, the talk has started, and correctly so, is that once you get into the echelon, there are only eight players that have ever scored 700 goals in the NHL. So the question becomes, you know, can he, you know, can he topple Gretzky? And then also the comparison is, you know, where does uh, Alexander Ovechkin fall on the pantheon of great NHL goal scorers? And uh, I was giving this some thought the last little while, and I kind of see Alexander Ovechkin kind of right at the top of that discussion. Because when you're talking about pure goal scorers, you're really talking about the Mike Bossies. A lot of people, uh, now there was a bit of a discussion because, pardon the interruption, took a, took a shot at this. Because, you know, everybody just looks at Wayne Gretzky's total goal numbers, and they say, well, Wayne Gretzky has to be the best because he's had the most goals. And because he had a 92-goal season. And the thing is, you're 100% right, but the problem is, I never saw, I don't think Wayne Gretzky was a pure goal scorer. I don't think he, he wasn't a shoot first kind of guy. He was a playmaker because some folks are trying to kind of downplay Alexander Ovechkin's uh, accomplishment because they're saying, well, you know, nobody will get to Wayne Gretzky's 2,800 plus points. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're right because the sport is fundamentally different. Wayne Gretzky's raw goal scoring numbers are going to be tough to pass, but Ovechkin's probably the best verse to even give it a shot. But the element I think that's more important that I think when you're doing is you kind of have to compare yourself not to your not to the overall all time. You have to compare yourself to the era, because in NHL goal scoring, it's kind of the it, it, it's kind of the opposite. Because if you think about and I'll use a different analogy and then bring it back to the NHL thing. Yeah. You, you th when you think about like baseball history, you talk about before the dead ball era ended and then after the dead ball era. So the statistics you're going to look at, you know, if you look at the home run champions in the dead ball era, it's a very different context than it is post 
dead ball era. You know, when Babe Ruth started hitting 50 and 60 home runs, nobody had done that up until that point. It hadn't happened. And the, you know, single season home run, you know, crown was like in the 20s. And then when Babe Ruth hit like his 25th or 26th home runs, he broke the single season record. Well, you say like, oh, everybody and their brother can hit 20 home runs today. Well, yeah, because we're in a different era. And again, it's cycled back in because then steroids came in and suddenly, you know, Barry Bonds hit 73 and, you know, Mark McGuire hit 70 and Sammy Sosa hit 60 a bunch of times. And then, you know, they started testing for steroids a little more thoroughly and suddenly the home run totals came back down. Last year, the home run totals came back up, but it was a juice baseball. You have to consider the era when you're doing a measurement. So the measuring stick for Alexander Ovechkin is not necessarily looking at Gretzky and looking at those guys, because when you look at Gretzky and those guys, here's what you need to understand. Wayne Gretzky played in the most prolific era of NHL hockey, the 1980s. And any player, if you look at the top all-time guys, and I've got the list in front of me, I'll quickly run through it with you. Just the top, top guys, just so you understand. Gretzky played predominantly in the 1980s. He owned the 1980s. And he put up huge monster numbers that are probably unimpeachable. But then you look at the people directly after that are in that top echelon. Well, Gordie Howe is a bit of a genetic freak because he played in parts of 34 seasons. Well, he just played forever. Now, mind you, he didn't play in the NHL the whole time, but he also played in the WHA and put up numbers there, too. But if you're looking at just his NHL numbers, he still played in access of like 25 seasons. So he just put up year after year. He started playing in 1946, Dave. And his last NHL game was in 1980. The man played forever, literally forever. This is true. So when you play forever, yes, you're going to put up those numbers. The next one on the list is Jarmer Yager. Jarmer Yager didn't play in the 80s, but he started in 1990. So he got to capitalize on that early 1990s era where like the goal scoring was still pretty high. Not quite to 1980s level, but it was high. So he's a guy who benefited from that. Brett Hall started in the mid-80s and put up huge monster numbers in the early 90s. And he was still a goal scorer his whole career, but he got to benefit from that era where you're putting up these monster numbers. Marcel Dion played in the 70s, which was a pretty good goal scoring period as well. And then, the, and then through the 19, he retired in 1989. So he got to play in the 80s as well. Again, you're noticing a pattern here. Phyllis Bezito is probably a guy who falls just outside of that. But when he started scoring was in the late 60s into the 70s, which I said was a pretty good era for it. And he had the single season goal scoring record until Gretzky broke it because he scored 76 goals in a season. Mike Gartner was a guy who played forever as well. And he but he also played the entire era of the 1980s. By the time you get to number eight, which is Ovechkin, Ovechkin played in 2000 and started playing in 2005. He's the only guy that I just named that didn't play in the 90s or in the 70s or in the 80s. The three biggest eras for goal scoring. He didn't play in any of those. So you're not comparing him to those guys. What you're doing is you're comparing him to his contemporaries. So I'll give you one one more thing just to consider for everybody here. When you look at Alexander Ovechkin for even active guys... You got to remember, there's the Patrick Marlowe's who are at the end of their careers. Hosa is technically considered an active guy because he's under contract, but he hasn't played in years. The next closest person who played in the same era, totally, didn't start in the 90s, who played in the same era as Alexander Ovechkin, is Sidney Crosby. So that's really his real comp- competition, his real comparison, because Marlowe is at the end of his career and he started playing in 97, 98. Hosa started playing in 97, 98. Crosby is number four in active players. He has 459 goals. He will get to 500 goals. Sidney Crosby is a great player, an all-time player. But here's the thing. 459 versus 701. They started in the same year, Dave. 459, 701. That's pretty impressive. The gap is is monstrous. So that's the thing. When you look at a Gretzky and you look at those guys, you're I gave you a bunch of names, but the truth is, when we're talking about Gretzky, yes, he, he put distance between himself and the next closest guys. 
But when you're putting him to the all-time list, almost all the all-timers outside of Ovechkin played in the 80s. And he Ovechkin never got to benefit from that era. So in this era, it's very hard to score comparatively. So the fact that a guy is out there with the intention of scoring on every single game and every single shift puts him into a different stratosphere. So if he manages to get anywhere near Gretzky, I have to put him at the very top of my all-time goal scorers as far as like pure goal scorers. He's not a playmaker. He's a goal scorer. That's what he does. And that's why I say, like, we're not going to see it again. That's why it's uh, at least the way that hockey is played today, unless we fundamentally change the way the sport is played. That's why I feel like we're going to develop more of an appreciation as the next couple of years go on, as Ovechkin kind of moves forward up that list, because he's going to pa- he's in position to pass a couple of really big guys in the next year or two. Yeah. And it's already happened this season, but it can continue next year if he continues to play at this level, even for another year or two. So I just wanted to put uh, kind of where he stands in a little bit of perspective, folks. Like I said, there's still time, but just if you do watch the games, enjoy it because it's not normal. We don't see mm-hmm. this anymore. It doesn't work this way because the rest of the guys who are coming up, even the best of the best, getting a 50-goal season is is ridiculous. And Oveskin has, I think, nine of them so or eight of them, eight or nine. So the thing is, we don't see that anymore. And he has a chance to get another one this year. And if he does, that's another one. And then I think if he did one more 50-goal season after this, he would be the most all-time. The most 50-goal seasons ever, including Gretzky. Which is really impressive. So that's the thing. Like it's There is consistency there year after year after year. And it's and one thing that has to be remembered is he had a 49-goal season. Where if he had just put one more in, he'd already be there. So just context. I'm giving context for everybody. I just want you to think about that. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little XFL, but before I do, let's get into the pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turbel. So sad day today for uh, Liverpool fans. Their unbeaten run has come to an end. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm an Arsenal fan and in Premier League era, because if you follow English soccer, uh, soccer doesn't exist outside the Premier League era. That's a joke, but uh, because there's actually... You know, the way it's talked about in the media is always like the Premier League, the Premier League, the Premier League, and like everything that happened before the Premier League doesn't really count. But Liverpool had won 18 games in a row, which tied a record. And there are 44 games total without a loss. The record is 49. Uh, and that ended today by by being beat by the team that was in 17th place. How many teams are there? 20 in the Premier League. So the 17th place out of 20. Correct. Gotcha. Uh, Liverpool is still running away with the league. They're going to win the league. They're 22 points ahead of their nearest competition right now. Uh, and the season ends in May. So, you know, that's not really going to be too much of an issue because they're going to win their fair share of games moving forward still. But, you know, this is a scene that every year if there's a really good team and they have a good run without losing. Now, granted, it's, it is soccer, so you can tie. But they, where they've either tied or won... Everyone goes, oh, is this a team that's going to go through the season, you know, without losing? And pretty much every time the coach is like, no, it's not going to be this team. We're not going to do it, you know. Or somebody's like, this is the first year that I actually felt that they probably were going to happen. And I was quite surprised that they did lose. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. I haven't had done a cross-country running report in a while. So I figured, why not mention that? You know, because I think this is something where people thought, you know, history was going to be made this year. Even if they didn't go through the season, they were still quite potentially could have beaten Arsenal's 49 games. They were at 44 as of today, and then they lost. So I thought history was going to happen this year, 
and it did not. And I think it just goes to show, you know, how difficult something like that is to actually achieve. Now, do you figure it was because they were thinking about that kind of a record, or do you figure that they were kind of uh, on such a good run that they were basically uh, taking a team that is really in the low end of, uh, you know, of teams for their league, if they were taking them a little bit lightly? Because you're looking at a, basically a bottom feeding team, and they're pretty, and they're obviously very good. So were they taking them a little bit lightly, and then just didn't put the same amount of focus they would normally put in if, say, they were playing somebody right at the top of their standings? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of all of the above, really. Uh, you know, it's the mental acuity that it's going to take and, and strength and fortitude to get through a season unbeaten, something extremely hard to do. And they lost um, midweek in another competition. And so I think that was probably playing on their minds as well. And take that with, you know, trying to beat the record, knowing you're pretty close to it, as well as playing a team that you really should be able to beat easily and then getting hammered by them is it. I mean, that's more surprising than I think the fact that they lost was that they lost three to nil, which is, you know, it wasn't like a nil nil game and they nicked a goal at the end kind of on a fluke. Um, and the other thing was if you look at all the stats in terms of possession, in terms of corner kick, like all the things, Liverpool dominated the game uh, and they just weren't able to score. And Watford was able to put three by them. So, you know, these things just happen. It's just, again, another example of how hard it is to 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 do something like go that long, even as long as they did, 44 games, without losing. No, that's fair. Whenever somebody gets into that kind of a win streak, it's one of those things where I, I, I would think the motivation to kind of stay focused, especially against playing against inferior competition, would be really difficult. You almost have to go into the kind of psychotic Michael Jordan thing where you just find some random reason to hate the other team and want to crush them. That's basically the kind of mind games you have to play basically with yourself to take them as seriously as you might not otherwise do. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that was the pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turnbull. And now let's hear some XFL talk, Carlos. All right. So a couple of things I want to talk about the XFL uh, week three. So a little bit. There were some surprises. Uh, DC really didn't come out and play very well. And they were hammered by an L.A. team that was a little bit resurgent. But it's funny, the parody of the XFL has been starting to establish itself a little bit. Houston struggled a little bit, but in the end, they were able to win. So Houston, I think, has proven that they're they're very steady. They're uh, they're very well able to uh, adjust and play. And they were handed everything they could handle from uh, Tampa Bay. But the thing about it is uh, I've. I feel like I was fairly fair about Tampa Bay in the sense of how bad they were. Um, but a lot of it came down to the kind of the way they structured that team and then the way they played it out. And one interesting thing developed uh, last week was that they gave Houston a very hard time and they might have even been able to win had Mark Tressman not been obsessed with um, switching quarterbacks. It was just this weird thing where like Aaron Murray wasn't available to start. So they brought in, you know, I believe it's Taylor Cornelius. I, I didn't have the name in front of me, but I believe it's Taylor Cornelius. It's Cornelius for sure. But he started the game and he played well in spurts. But it was one of those things where, you know, he as soon as he demonstrated any struggling, they'd bring in Quinton Flowers. And then Quinton Flowers would maybe get a series, but he barely got to throw the ball. It was just like a lot of running plays. Well, if you're the other team and you know that the quarterback's going to come in predominantly to run and he's not really going to throw the ball, well, then you can adapt your defense accordingly. So you're not really creating much of a disruption for the other team. So it was this weird tactic where he would keep switching the quarterbacks back and forth. He'd even switch them mid-series. Not even like a whole series. He'd like he'd like let Cornelius throw first down and second down, and then bring in Quentin Flowers for third down. 
It was just weird, uh, like a weird strategic choice. But I think in the end that disrupted any kind of rhythm they might have been able to put together. And Cornelius made some mistakes. Quinton Flowers wasn't perfect. But I think um, the interesting thing that came out of that was, so following that game three, where they were pretty close, they were in that game, they were more encouraging. Let's play. Let's put it this way. They played a lot better. Then I then I hit them with as far as you know offense defense special teams where they sucked and everything. I feel like I gave their defense a little bit too little credit because they did play well against a Houston offense that is perfectly capable, but their 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 offense is questionable because well you need to pick a quarterback you need to figure out who the hell's starting for your team and you know let them work their way out of it unless they're genuinely playing terrible and not following the game plan. Don't just switch them for the sake of switching them to quote unquote try to develop momentum like. There is no momentum if if your if your offense doesn't even know who the hell is under center, you know from play to play or from series to series, you're not going to have any continuity that way. That's a disastrous way to put together a team and to try to coach a team because mm-hmm. then who the hell gets the first team reps if you have no idea who the hell is going to be under center? Well, that's true too, right? Yeah. So like, like you're, I mean, you want you want to practice to prepare for the game and you know know what your plan of action is, and everybody feels more comfortable. The more in advance you know who that person is and the more reps you can get with him. Yeah. And in the end, uh, this backfired, I would say, in the sense that Quinton Flowers left the team for undisclosed reasons earlier in the week uh, before game week four here. And uh, he reportedly wants basically out of Tampa Bay because he's very frustrated with the way he was being used, which I can't blame him. They basically demonstrated that they had no confidence in him. But at the same time, you put him in so you didn't have too much confidence in Cornelius. So good news if you're a Tampa Bay fan. They have no confidence in Cornelius. But Aaron Murray was supposed to be the starter, but he was hurt. And Aaron Murray kind of sucked. And they had no uh, no confidence in Flowers because they would let him do even less than Cornelius, who they had less confidence in than Aaron Murray. We got all that? Yes. Other than that, they're good. <laughs> and their uniforms are still ugly as hell. So they've got that going for them. Ugh. Good luck, Tampa. Uniforms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good luck. Like, it's not good. Uh, the other big takeaway was that DC uh, got exposed a little bit by LA. But it was interesting because... L.A. showed a dynamic offense that it looked like on paper they might be able to put together, but they were able to finally start getting a little bit because their, uh, you know, their quarterback and situation stabilized. They didn't have their quarterback initially out of the block, and then they were able to get that done. But an interesting situation came out of that in that it looked like L.A. was playing better, but they played here in week four, and they lost to the New York Guardians, which is interesting. Because hey, you got the team name right this time. Yes, I did. I had to. Th- I, I I had to think about it a little bit because I wanted to say defenders again, but the thing is, um, the New York Guardians came out and they actually won the game against LA. Now, mind you, LA had some injuries, including some of the guys that were dynamic for them um, in their week three victory. But the thing is, the Guardians had to play kind of a. Um, kind of a style of game where they had to kind of slow it down and drag it out. It was kind of a low-scoring affair. It hit the under, certainly. But in the spirit of uh, not quite as shocking as, uh, as you know, baseball he- Filipino baseball hero Tim Tebow. Not quite as exciting few, as few that. Th- few things are as shocking and as exciting as that, Carlos. It, it really is. It, it's changed my life. But the thing is... Um, it did. It did resolve the the whole disaster of the of the York Guardian situation. Brought back the return of one of my personal favorites, Luis Perez. Hey, yeah, he formerly of the Birmingham Iron. You know that was an interesting. And I will say that uh, as far as that game is concerned, because it was a 17-14 final, uh, very um, closely contested, but more mostly because of various levels of ineptitude by both teams exhibited. I think LA just was injured, and uh, New York was New York. 
they did play better, I would say, as a team because they got smashed the last time they played. And this was the first start for Luis Perez, who was originally on the L.A. roster. And um, he was traded to, from L.A. to New York. And this was his first opportunity to start again. And I would say that this was the most Luis Perezian performance that he could have because it was like basically as if he came out of the Birmingham Iron game and then went and put together another performance here. Where again, it's kind of frustrating because you don't know what to make of this guy. He's not terrible, but it's one of those things where like he's not going to light up the scoreboard, but then he'll make a couple of good plays and a couple of decent throws. And it's like, okay, this is fine. But then at the same time, he's not mobile, but he's not a very big guy. But his arm isn't like a cannon, so it's like weird. But it, but he, but he got the win for a team yeah. that was a disaster last week. So I guess um, he might have earned himself another start. Like I, it's just bizarre. The whole Louis Perez thing has always been entertaining to me, even going back to the AAF, and it just kind of continues on. So that's another kind of thing that struck me from uh, the way this played out this week, though. Uh, the game hasn't ha- hasn't happened yet, but the big game of this week is the All Texas matchup. We're gonna have Houston taking on Dallas. So I think that's going to be very interesting because Dallas has been kind of on the upswing. And Houston, like I said, was challenged this past week. But they're still, I think, the class of the league. And then D.C. is going to be playing as well on Sunday. So they're going to, it's going to be interesting to see if Cardinal Jones and the team can rebound because they really didn't look good in the last game. Just did not look good at all. L.A. kind of torched them. And um, there's certain teams that are kind of hanging. There's kind of a rock, paper, scissors thing happening with these teams right now. Some of the teams will look pretty good against a certain opponent, but then get absolutely exposed by another one who will, who was previously exposed by the first team that the first team crushed. So it's, it's, it's this weird thing where right now all the teams are kind of figuring out their pecking order. I still feel like New York and Tampa Bay are still at the bottom of the barrel. I would say that New York gets a slight uptick because at the bare minimum, if Luis Perez is the answer for them, at least he's, solid enough like he's not terrible he's not matt mcgloin who was just tragic i would say that i did like what i saw this uh this you know basically today what i saw out of st louis st louis looks like they're in the ascent like there's a lot of that i've got houston at the top with st louis just beneath them dc has kind of slid down a little bit and i've right now got uh you know tampa bay at the bottom with uh with new york so the power rankings are starting to like clarify for me a little bit it's a little less murky right so Which, that's, you know, as as happens as you go further and further through the season. Well, it's really more data points because at this point uh, for the first couple of weeks, it's like, oh, they look good, really good. And then it's like, OK, but were they really good or is the other team really bad? Like, who did you play when you put up those well, numbers? That's true, too. Right. Yeah. So now we're starting to get especially a especially when it's the inaugural season and you don't have, you know, any sort of historical data on each team either. And, but you are starting to get a better sense of who the players are, who can, uh, who are the receivers that can get open, who are the running backs who can actually, you know, break a tackle. And you're starting to see some of those guys. I am enjoying, though, that I am starting to see a couple of those AAF guys who did well, uh, playing well. And then at the same time, though, there's a couple of them where I'm kind of questioning what's happening because I think Brandon Silvers might be – Brandon Silvers is probably going to be out in Seattle because he just didn't look good again. And – um and they went to, I think it was B.J. Daniels. And at least they played better, and they made it competitive against the St. Louis team, who I think is actually pretty good. So it's one of those things where uh, a lot of teams are still trying to figure who the starter is, which is unfortunate that in training camp they weren't able to figure this out. Yeah, for sure. They're giving a lot of these guys who have a little bit of name recognition the benefit of the doubt, and I wouldn't. It's just That's just me, but uh, we'll see. It'll be kind of play out. Uh, at least some of the games were entertaining. We're still getting a little bit of that. And like I said, the, the Houston-Dallas matchup on Sunday should be an interesting one. So that's kind of where I'm at as far as uh, week three was, uh, going into week four of the XFL. Dun, dun, dun. 
Yeah. I think uh, I want to see if uh, I, I need them to get a new theme song. The whole for the love of football thing they play is like it's not quite um, it's not quite the Monday Night Football theme. They need something else. I would really like to see them uh, do something bombastic like, you know, the NFL films has like they've got certain songs that they'll bring out that like, you know, this is NFL films. As soon as you've got that, like, yes, this is NFL. You, they need something like that. They need an iconic theme song that they play before the XFL games. I think that'd be a good idea. I'd be cool with that. I think they should work on that. I think that's the thing that would really like elevate it a little bit, especially since they've got their network partners for the next little while. They could establish something like Fox knows how to do stuff like that. They can totally come up with something. It's true. They do. Yeah. So that's it for that this week. There'll be more, obviously, as, as the season goes on, because now it's starting to get interesting. Now we're starting to figure out who the good teams are. We're starting to figure out who the good performers are. And I'm looking forward to some of the Sunday games, and I'll, I'll kind of see how that plays out. So I think that's it for my main news and notes, Dave. Uh, do we want to get into uh, our little bit of NL Central talk? Let's do it, buddy. All right. So tell you what, we can start wherever you like. You tell me what's going to happen. Um. Okay. Uh, so this is a division that I feel minus one team, like very hard to predict anyway. Um, but let's start with Pittsburgh because literally they're in full rebuild mode. Uh, they're going to suck and they have a nice stadium. So if you like skyline views, go for that in the summer. Uh, Pittsburgh also has a nice beer craft beer scene and beer scene. Go for that. But don't go for thinking the team's going to do anything half decent because they're not. They have snazzy uniforms. That's true. They are classic. Uh, yes. This is also true. Uh, so if you like uniforms, great. Classic uniforms, go for that. So beer, classic uniforms, skyline view, pretty much, I don't know, uh, history, um, old steel mills, uh, cheap housing. I don't know. Just go cheap, for anything. Cheap, anything. cheap housing. We are, go for we're going gonna, gonna to hire you for the tourist board for everybody because, uh, you know, ever since uh, ever since a couple of weeks ago, I, I really feel like I want you to be personally the one responsible and in charge of covering all these different things ever since we we got our you know tourism board of santa monica ad from you because they got a peer they got a peer guys what i'm just saying pittsburgh actually has quite a lot to offer yes compared to santa monica (laughs) but just baseball isn't one of those things this summer that's all i'm saying they're gonna suck and i'm uh spoiler alert they're gonna finish last in the division that's all i want to say well i I, the point i I agree with you and uh and i'm glad that we all acknowledge that Pittsburgh's new saying should be like Pittsburgh, PA. We're better than Santa Monica. We have more than a peer. That, that's fair. I think I think instead of they shouldn't even mention Santa Monica. They should just be like Pittsburgh, PA. We have more than a peer. That's that's just a beautiful, beautiful. beautiful just so it's a, a subtle dig at, it, it, at Santa Monica. Well, even though I mean, honestly, don't knock the peer until you've actually gone to Santa Monica. Dave, you're not going to sell anybody on Santa Monica with a pier. It does. It doesn't matter how hard you sell that pier, Dave. It's. It's not. It's. There's not enough. Do you have anything you'd like to add on Pittsburgh? No, the team? But Pittsburgh's really bad. I've got. I've got the, any random stats? You. What, what's their stat? Do they have something better than bunt hits this time? Uh, marginally. Uh, I will tell you that uh, as far as uh, random stats are. Hold on. I will uh, refer to my uh, oracle of knowledge here. Pittsburgh. All right. Uh, yeah, here you go. Remember when I said earlier that when you look at a preview magazine, you can learn a lot by the random stat they throw out. So for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the random stat is stat line, productive outs. The Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Pirates had <laughs> 271 productive outs in 2019, which was 17 better than the Rockies at 254 and better than the Dodgers at 252. So there you go. Pittsburgh has the most productive outs in 2019. 
Is that better or worse than the bunt hits, Dave? I don't I think know. It's worse. I think I'm not quite sure, but I think it's worse. But the outs were productive, Dave. They were productive. <sighs> um. All right. Let's move on to another team, please. I'm actually glad you asked about the random stat because this, that made me happy. Productive outs, Dave. Well, I figured it would make me happy, too. Uh, let's see. I don't even know where I want to go next. Let's go to uh, the Cardinals. Good I, Lord, you, know, you go from the worst to potentially the best. Jesus. All right. Well, I don't know. Okay, you want, fine. Let's just move that. Let's go. Okay, I'm just going to go down on the middle list. Let's go to Cubs. All right. We got Jason Kipnis coming in. We got Ryan Tapera coming in. They've lost Ben Zobris, Cole Hamels. Who knows if Chris Bryant's actually going to be on the opening day roster, although the further we get to opening day, I'm pretty sure he probably will be. The only I don't think the Cubs are going to be very good. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they'll be half decent. I think they'll be over 500. But David Ross as manager does intrigue me, and I like that move. Uh, but here's the thing. If what you're talking about about the team is the fact that they have a new manager and who that manager is, the team's probably not going to be that good. So I think, you know what? Here we go. It's Chicago. They've got pizza. They have Navy Pier. They have Wrigley Field. Again with the freaking pier, Dave. Seriously. Good I had to God. do this for you. Uh, they also have Soldier Field. They have uh, some nice museums. They have boat cruises. Uh, you know what? But here's the thing. So I think if you're looking for somewhere to go in the summer to enjoy some baseball and look at a team that may win, Cubs are your bet. I think they're going to be interesting. I just don't think they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs. I think they'll be relevant for most of the season. But again, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. That's my take on the Cubs, Carlos. So the important thing is that we somehow managed to get a peer back in there. That That's key, I feel. Uh, secondly, I, I, I always get the two mixed up. Are the, are the Cubs the south side of Chicago or the north side of Chicago? They are the north side. Yeah, they're the north side. So, uh, you know, the Cubs are at least the second best uh, t- baseball team in Chicago. Um, you know, it's 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 better than the Angels situation with the foosball team. You know, I think the Cubs are better than the foosball team. It's, it's marginal, but they might be better than the foosball team. The thing is... Um, there's not a lot. To, the the Cubs are in that interesting situation where they're kind of mediocre. They're not terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it's almost looking at the Cubs. It's hard to imagine that in 2016 they won the World Series in 103 games. Like it's very, yes. it, it, feels it feels like it was so far removed from there. Yeah, like it feels like 100 years ago, but it's not. They hit, you know Wrigley Field's a beautiful stadium, and their fans are very loyal. And at this moment, the, the fans are in no position to complain about the damn team because at least they won a, a freaking World Series in their lifetime. You know, I can remember the days back of the heady days of 2016 when the Chicago Cubs won a World Series. But um, it, it's it feels like they're not progressing any further. It's interesting because in 2016, at the end of it, there was real talk. I remember hearing it where people were wondering out loud if the Chicago Cubs were on the verge of building a new dynasty. And the answer is no. The, you know, good news, spoiler, we can now, I think, clearly state that the answer is no. Um, and they're not moving any closer to that. At the end of the day, they might have sold their souls for 2016, but as a, if I was a Chicago Cubs fan, I would accept this outcome because at least you got the damn World Series. So that's something. So I'll give them that. At least at the bare minimum, they have that. Um, and clearly, they have more attractions than Santa Monica. So, you know, and that's tough to do, as you know. Uh, maybe we'll do at some point a podcast where we'll have Dave compare peers. You know, they can see which peer is really the superior peer because that's key. That's an important thing for us to know. You know what? Maybe I will just do my own YouTube video for an unnecessary pod extra. Maybe you should do an entire podcast on peers. That should be like your thing. I don't know if there's enough content for that where people are really going to care for that long. But think of the niche nature of it. Podcasts are oh, built totally. for niche, Dave. There, there's nothing more true. niche than comparing peers. Can you imagine if I became rich because of a podcast on peers? 
I want you to know that if this uh, comes to pass, uh, as the person who came up with this idea, we've got to come up with an arrangement. And this hey, might- I currently live in a town where I could give you, or city, where I could give you a lot of information about the pier we have and the, the debacle that was. So you know what? I do have some experience in that regard. I think we've just we've just formulated a, a brilliant idea right there. That's that just might be it. The pier cast coming soon. Um, so do you want you know what? It's something I will do now. Now that we brought it up, uh, do you want the random stat of the Chicago Cubs? Sure, let's go. Let's because I feel it. because I feel like we may we may have to rank the random stats of these teams in this division. All right, for the Chicago Cubs, your random stat line is this: hits gained versus a shift. Chris Bryant plus nine. <sighs> It's literally the most random statistic we could come up with. It's hits gained against the shift. Um, you know, Chris Bryant at plus, plus nine. Do you want to know who's second? No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I, I, I love every aspect of it. All right. I love, the- I love, I love how obs- obs- uh, statistic obsessed baseball is, but even that's too much for me. Hits gained against the shift, Dave. This is important. All right. Let's go Brewers. All right. The Brewers. Sounds good. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Brewers. So we got Brett Anderson coming in. We got Justin Smoke, which I like because, you know, Blue Jay, ex-Blue Jay. So you got to give credit to Justin Smoke. Uh, but they did lose Mike Moustakas, who I think is going to be a big loss. They lost Yasmani Grandal, a catcher, who's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a horrible loss, but I think it'll probably be a step back. They also lost Eric Thames. I see the Brewers as a team that isn't going to be completely horrible, but is definitely going to regress. You know, so again, I don't see this. I don't see this as a playoff team. You know, I don't think it's close. But I think they'll be uh, mediocre to slightly above mediocre. It's a bold call by you. I think the biggest thing I like, all your moves that you outlined are important. Uh, that is going to be part of it. I think there could be kind of middle of the pack. Getting back to to high 80s wins, I don't think is that much of a stretch. One thing they will have going for them, theoretically, is if Christian Yelich can be back to playing a full season. He was actually playing extremely well, potentially. Could have been a back-to-back MVP winner had he been able to play out the rest of the season. Um, you know, going down late in the season kind of hurt his uh, MVP chances and let Bellinger get in there and take it from him. But the thing is, if they get a full season out of out of him uh, in an MVP caliber type performance again, that can be hugely helpful. It's something that can allow them uh, to have. Now, one thing I should point out, though, is I do find it tremendously interesting that, you know, Christian Yellis played 130 games. He had 329, 44 home runs and 97 RBIs. And, uh, you know, he was penalized for missing about 30-odd games and didn't win the MVP over somebody else. It's it's almost as if uh, playing about 130 games should disqualify you from the MVP. Mike Trout. Oh, Carlos. These are the facts. The The man played about the same amount of games. Oh, and he all had one less home run. That All I'm saying, and he hit almost 330, unlike, you know, that slacker Trout hitting like 291, which is trash. It's not. It's not MVP. You just always have to loop it back to Mike Trout, don't you? No, generally I I, I bring it back to my to Tom Brady. Mike Trout's currently my whipping boy for the moment. Yeah, Tom Brady, you're lucky right now. Yeah, yeah and he right. may not be that much longer, depending on what goes down with this year. Well, but. I got to figure out what team he goes to. I got to figure out who exactly. I'm mock. This is like that. I really hope he goes to to Las Vegas. I really do. Oh my God, Dave! Uh, you you know how you talked about how we would randomly go to Green Bay if uh, if the you know if. The situation that happened with the Saints Packers. Screw all that. If if Tom Brady goes to freaking Las to Vegas, <laughs> to Vegas, Dave. Vegas. I think we could probably make that happen. Yep. Anyway, so no, the I think the the Brewers will be kind of in the middle. Uh, that's kind of where I see them, uh, really. And then uh, in the spirit of all of this, all right, let's do our stat line. Um, unfortunately, I have no inside knowledge about the the quality of peers in Milwaukee, so I can't help you there. But what I can tell you is that a Brewer, in terms of Lorenzo Cain, 
had the highest center field range rating between 2017 and 2019. I love these random stats. <laughs> I don't even know what a range rating is, Dave. I don't know what that is. The, the best part is like, it's like, here's a stat which you've never heard of, but let's just, you know, it's like they invent things just because they can. Somebody knows what the stat means, but I genuinely don't. Yeah, but we are not those people. I can't help you. All right, All right. Who's next? Let's move on to another team. Uh, I'm going to go to the Cardinals next because I want to talk about the Reds last for right. a variety of reasons. The Cardinals. Uh, so the Cardinals haven't really made any huge, significant changes. Um, Marcel Zuna's bat, that's a significant loss for the team. It's just sort of, can the people who they already have get better? Uh, you know, and the answer is maybe. They have some really good talent. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is always the one that, that sort of stands out to me. I expect this team to contend for a playoff spot. Uh, maybe when the, maybe they're good enough to win the division. I don't really know. Uh, but I would expect that they would be in the race. And, you know, definitely they're going to be in it in September. Unless your random stat changes my mind. But as of right now, I feel that will be, they will definitely be in the race, uh, you know, in the thick of it in September. Well, this random stat, Dave, I'm gonna, when I get to this random stat, this is going to rock your world. N- not quite to the degree of Filipino baseball superstar Tim Tebow. Not quite to that level. Few things are at that level. But, but this fair. is like, if that's like 100 on the index, this stat, when I get to it, will be like a 97.5. Brace yourself. It's coming. All right, before that, uh, I think the St. Louis Cardinals are just the most balanced team. But the problem is that I don't know if their offense as a whole, top to bottom in the lineup, is quite that good. However, you know, to the point, Goldschmidt is solid. The interesting thing about the Goldschmidt thing is that uh, he had an off season by his standard and still hit almost 35 home runs and still was almost basically at 100 RBIs, which if that's an off season for you, that's pretty solid. Considering that's a guy you locked up, uh, you know, where St. Louis decided to open up the piggy bank a little bit and pay for it. They just wanted to have a, they want to have the situation solidified because having Goldschmidt, who's a very solid power hitter and in hitter in general at first base is, uh, and the comparison was apt. It's, it's the most solid they are at first base since Pujols left, which is, uh, you know, Pujols was a next level talent in St. Louis. That was, you know, transcendent. It was a different thing, but Goldschmidt's, Darn solid. If you tell me I can have a first baseman who hit 30, 35 home runs and 100 RBIs, I'm not complaining. That's not a, you know, we can make do with that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So most teams can use that. That's not an issue. But it's going to be whether these other guys are able to step up to that level. And Jack Flaherty was very strong down the stretch. So that's a, that's a big thing for them. And uh, it'll be about whether those guys and Adam Wainwright, it, it's if basically if these pitchers, because Adam Wainwright is a name. But he's not what he once was. But if these pitchers can put together um, an equivalent great season compared to what they did last year, which they were very good, but this lineup is going to have to help because they won 91 games despite the fact that the lineup as a whole was not super. And Mm -hmm. they're going to have to elevate that a little bit if they expect to maintain or improve because if you have a really great season from the pitching staff, that's where you get regression sometimes. And if that happens, then your offense has to be able to pick them up a little bit, so you need some help. You need a little bit of that balance to keep the thing going. Otherwise, they could be the class of the division if they can develop that balance over the course of the season. Yeah, exactly. All right, you ready for a random stat? I am. All right, here it is. For the St. Louis Cardinals, your random stat is luckiest pitchers by FIP, 2018-2019. Leader of the pack, Dakota Hudson. Oh my goodness! All right, do you want me would to you like you? to tell us what FIP is? For yeah, those I guys, actually can't. I actually can't. Know. I actually can't. So FIP is fielding independent pitching minus actual ERA with a minimum of two hundred innings. 
Does that help? For, for me, yes. For people who don't know baseball, probably not. That is such a stupid stat. <laughs> like, it, it's like I think they genuinely are looking for something where a person on this team can be a leader. It's like back in the day, like, oh, league leader in home runs? No, we don't have that. League leader in RBIs? Nope. Uh, average, batting average? No. Uh, feeling percentage? No. Uh, do we have anything this team leads in? Yes. Luckiest pitchers by FIP. Dakota Hudson. 1.53. Ahead of Mike okay. Fires. Well, that just says it right there, doesn't it? Minimum 200 innings, Dave. Minimum 200 innings. Yeah. Shall we move on to the Reds then? Oh, we shall. Uh, okay, so the Reds, the Reds once again have done a ton of stuff. Um, you know, I think they sort of went for it last year in, 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 a, in a regards in terms of what they did, and it didn't work out at all. Uh, this year, you've got outfielder Shogo Akiyama, starting pitcher Wade Miley. You got Mike Mustakas, who comes over from, which I really like as a pickup. Uh, you've got outfielder Nick Castellanos. You have Boog Powell, because Boog, coming in. Uh, Trevor Bauer, hopefully you have him for a full season, hopefully healthy. I say that for everyone, because you never know what injury is going to come. But I mean, if you put all that together, we'll see how it gels. But, you know, Cincinnati's also said, hey, we're going to go for it again this year. Uh, and this time, I think they actually may have a shot. It depends on sort of obviously how everything fits together and how the starting pitching holds up. But I like, again, as long as the random stat doesn't change my mind, I like what Cincinnati has available. I'm just trying to get my head around the fact that you said Boog Powell. I was like, is that really true? Because I know of the original Boog Powell. And I was like, is that is he related to the other Boog Powell? Maybe. I don't know. Now I'm genuinely curious. All right, I will look this up. But in the meantime, I'll give some thoughts on the Cincinnati Reds. I uh, I really do see them being uh, kind of middle of the road again. Uh, the reality is Joey Votto is in decline. You know, they're going to struggle a little bit. And I believe, I, I have to look up look this up, but didn't Suarez, isn't he injured? Doesn't Suarez, uh, I feel like I saw something about Suarez. Um, I don't. I don't know off the top of my head. Yes. You know, these are kind of things we probably should know, but... Yeah, I'm just... No, but I, I feel like I saw this recently. Uh, let me just really quickly look this up. I'll tell you right now. All right, Cincinnati Reds, third baseman. Eugenio Suarez takes a big step in his rehab. Yeah, okay. So, you know, as so, a... Yes. Yeah, so that that's kind of important. You know, might be, might be a thing that is worth paying attention to, possibly. Just throwing it out there. Um, especially coming off the previous season. 49 home runs last year, so that's kind of a big deal if the guy's not in your lineup. That's not an advanced stat, Dave, but I feel like 49 home runs in the middle of your lineup is kind of important. Uh, in terms of rotation, like I don't see too much there. You do have Trevor Bauer. That's cool. Sonny Gray, you do have that. Wade Miley is there, but it's one of those things like you just don't know. Uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. They went from 67 to 75 wins last year. So could they progress a little bit more from that into the 80s? Certainly. I just don't know if um, they've done anything that is huge. That is going to um, that is going to change life in Cincinnati. That's kind of a big thing. Now, what I will say again for them, Cincinnati, is that they do have. I can actually give you two a random piece of trivia and a random stat for the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. Before you do that, can I mention one other thing? Go ahead. Before I get your hopes up or anyone else, uh, Boog Powell, who is legit Boog Powell, uh, was signed to a minor league deal. So he may not actually play with the team. I just want to put that out there in case people get super excited. I just had to mention it because of the name. Uh, but in case you're wondering, uh, Herschel Boog Powell the fourth is an American professional baseball player in the Cincinnati Reds organization. 27 years old, uh, currently playing with the Nashville Sounds. Although obviously he's there in spring training, but that's 
that's who he is. So just so you know. This is key. This is extremely important. All right. Or if you want from this Wikipedia page, Powell is nicknamed Boog after the formal Baltimore Orioles first baseman and 1970 AL MVP Boog Powell, with whom he shares no relation. His father gave him the nickname as a child in order to get avoid confusion because he's the fourth. So there you go. So instead of calling him, you know, Herschel, like his dad, they called him Boog. There you go. And that's how you know Dave was able to go Wikipedia because I looked at the same article as he read it. Well done. Well done, sir. Well, I did mention it was from Wikipedia, you know. Yeah. In the Oracle of Knowledge, the Google, is, you know, helps us once again. So the uh, that is kind of disappointing, though. I was kind of hoping he'd be related to the Boog Powell. That Boog Powell I am familiar with, the original one. The 1970 MVP one, not, not the current one. So that's kind of cool. Fair enough. So quick piece of random trivia. I'll give this to you. Uh, as part of the club's 150th anniversary, because the Cincinnati Reds are a fairly original, uh, you know, franchise that predates the, the National League. Well, yeah, I would say they're pretty much close to predating the National League because they really do go back a long ways. But as part of the 150th anniversary, they showcased 15 throwback uniforms at home games last year. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, one of the things that it did, and I, what I like is that they included uh, this little piece of trivia here. The most notable was the 1956 Ted Kluzinski era sleeveless road jersey, which I am familiar with that person. Um, And if you ever get a chance to look up some videos, uh, the whole reason that's significant is because the guy was jacked. So, you know, he had the gigantic arms. So he goes, it allowed Yasos Puig, Michael Lorenzen, Derek Dietrich, and others to showcase big biceps. The team went 5-10 and on days of the promotions. So alas, the gun show didn't help them as much as they might have hoped. Hey. You know what? They tried, though. And they I tried. did get to mention Puig for you, Dave. So that was, you know. I, I, which I appreciate. I, I thought I thought you'd appreciate that. So that's your random piece of trivia. And here's your random statistic. For the Cincinnati Reds, again, remembering the more random the statistic, the more likely crummy the team is. How about this one? Single season swing and miss percentage. 2012 to 2019, the leader in all of Major League Baseball, Luis Castillo of the 2019 Reds. 34.1 swing and miss percentage. Oh, my. He's a pitcher. So I would expect them to swing and miss a lot. But you know who was second in that grouping? Remember, this is a seven-year period. So the second um, – well, actually, it's not a second-year period, a seven-year period, even though it says so. The second one here is Kerry Wood of the 2003 Cubs, who's, who swung and missed 33.8% of the time. And other notable, 2002 Diamondbacks, Randy Johnson, 33.6, swing and miss percentage. These are all pitchers. Why is this even a stat here? Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I, that I can't tell you, Carlos. How's that but for random? Someone decided they needed something, so there you go. That, that basically means it's the only thing they can think of. That's kind of concerning. Here, I'll give you one. I'll give you one more random stat for this. Uh, well, not a random stat, but a random uh, note for the Cincinnati Reds. Again, thinking about how the Cincinnati Reds are on this ranking, that we're filling it with random pieces of uh, trivia. Michael Lorenzen became the first player to hit a home run, play in the outfield, and get credit for a win in a game since Babe Ruth accomplished his feat in June thirteenth, nineteen twenty-one. Nice. At least he gets uh, to be in the same same paragraph as Babe Ruth, so that's something for him. Hey, you know what? Anytime you can be mentioned in the same paragraph as Babe Ruth, it's it's a good thing. Regardless of whether it's deserved or not, it's still like, hey, and that's forever linked, right? Well, the thing is he actually gets to be mentioned in the same paragraph for doing a thing that Babe Ruth did, so that's kind of cool. But that's all I got for the Cincinnati Reds, Dave. That's all I got for the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. So how about we uh, we rank the teams now, Carlos? I was kind of expecting that to be the next thing, yes. Uh, I'll go first, as per usual, and you can mock me as you do or or not, or just mock me because you can. I was going to say, the second option, I wasn't aware that was an option. All right, fair enough. So, ready? I'm going for the Reds to win the division. What? 
Did the, that Babe Ruth stat really got to you, Dave? Calm down, Dave. That and the potential that Boog, the 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 new Boog Powell may play for them. I don't know, man. I'm gonna need to see that swing and miss percentage go down. Thirty-four point one is a lot of swings and misses, Dave. A lot of swings and misses is all I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, I have the Cardinals in number two. I have the Cubs in three, the Brewers in four, and the Pirates in five. And I would say I would expect. Basically, from from this division, probably I would say if if it if it shakes down like I think is going to shake down, then the Cardinals are a wild card team. If it doesn't shake down, then like this, and say the Cardinals win, then only the Cardinals are a wild card team. But I'm sticking with my one through five. Fair enough. I'd and like by to- a wild card. I mean only only division winner, no wild cards from this division. If it shakes out differently than I have said, but again, Reds, Cardinals, Cubs, Brewers, Pirates with the Reds winning and the Cardinals probably making a wild card. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick pretty vanilla. I'll be honest with you. I think it's just going to be the division winner. I don't think anybody else is making the playoffs from this thing. So I'll go from uh, bottom to top. I got the Pirates at the bottom uh, for the reasons outlined already. Uh, the, Car- the Reds, I really don't see advancing that far up. I'm going to have I'm going to put them in fourth. I am going to put the Cubs in third because I think they're going to try to they're going to try to build a little bit back up, but it's going to be one of those things. I feel like a lot of these teams are going to be right around the same amount of wins because they're going to kind of steal wins from each other. So there very well could be a couple of teams in the 80s here, which means that you won't have to do too much to win the division. But being in the 80s, hovering around is going to kind of put you all in the middle. So that's kind of where I'm at for that. Second, I've got, um, I'm putting the Milwaukee Brewers to be in second because I think Christian Jellis will play uh for a full season, and if he's able to play at an MVP level, that's going to help elevate them a little bit, which I think will be supremely helpful. And then I've got the Cardinals winning the division again for the second straight year and getting back to the playoffs, building off of what they did last year, having a better year from Goldschmidt. I think that's going to be key for them if they can keep the kind of consistency he has for another year. And um, they're just more solid than these other teams because when I look at these other teams and their rotations, I've got questions. So at least St. Louis looks pretty solid. Again, health is the great equalizer and the great um, the X factor. Yeah. Uh, the only thing we agree on is that the Cubs are going to be mediocre and the Pirates are going to suck. It's a bold statement, but I'm going to have to agree with that. Although uh, we did get uh, to at least enjoy the sheer quantity and glory that is the random stats, which I think we'll bring back next week for another division. I think we should keep this. I like this. I like the random stats. Uh, moving forward, and next week is the AL Central as we go crisscrossing. And early prediction in that one, the White Sox will not suck nearly as bad. In terms of anything I'm looking forward to, I would like to say the only thing I would like to mention is the Raptors' upcoming, I believe, six-game road trip. Uh, The key matchups being the game against Denver and the game against Utah. And it's always nice to see them play Golden State Warriors, who they played in the the finals last year. But obviously, Golden State sucks this year because they have so many injuries. So... You know, it's not going to be a sort of, it's not going to have that flavor of the championship rematch, but it still is the two teams. So I look forward to that one too. Uh, and hopefully I can stay awake long enough to watch some of the games, but I'm not holding my breath on that one. Brilliant. So what I'm still looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to one thing. I'm looking forward to the games, uh, the XFL games on Sunday, which I've already mentioned a little bit about. Other thing though, that is kind of interests me uh, a little bit is I was, um, 
It's not brand new, but I do catch it every year, and it's something that I just noticed on my little feed a little while ago. Uh, the latest season of All or Nothing is on Amazon Prime Video, if you have access to it. I'm a big fan of it because it's very similar to Hard Knocks, but I think much better produced. I, I think it's just a much better thing. And for this past season, they followed the Philadelphia Eagles, which would have been fascinating, no question. So I'm definitely going to check that out because I'm very intrigued and interested in that. So that's a yeah. big one for me. That'll be interesting. Yeah. And then the second thing is I want to check out, uh, even though I haven't, uh, again, not read uh, a recommendation. It's something that I want to check out. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari. I haven't watched that movie, but it is something that I'm interested in because I actually saw documentaries on the original Ford uh, against Ferrari thing with Le Mans. So I kind of want to see what the uh, Hollywood treatment is on that. So it is kind of a sports-ish uh, film. Yeah, that'd be worth watching. Yeah, and there is a real history there if you... Again, it'll be kind of interesting to see how closely they follow the real history of what actually happened with that. But it is an interesting story, and I'm not surprised they put it into a feature film. Quick point of order from editor Carlos here. We actually lost a little bit of the audio in this section of the recording, so we're just going to skip ahead to the very end of the podcast where David and I had a little bit of a laugh as far as the stats that we had put together for the preview from the NL Central. So here you go. Continuing uh, the very end of the conversation. Some of those stats are really questionable. That's, that's like when that's I have to look part. them up as I when I have to look them up as I read them. It's it's a good sign for some of those stats, the range stat or whatever. And then the other aspect of it that I enjoyed the most um, is that for some bizarre reason, whether you know we joked about it, but I, I really do think we have become the pure podcast. I feel like I feel like I'm going to need you to elevate your game and really bring us some key facts about many peers. All right, let's all see. the peers. Unfortunately, let's see. I feel I can do. Well, the White Sox are in, so we've got another. We can talk about Navy Pier again, and Cleveland probably has a pier. So there you go. Next week, more peers on the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Yada yada yada. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, whatever you get. Google your podcast, Play. Google Play, and we'll talk about the social media eventually. It does exist. And sometimes Carlos makes YouTube videos and puts them up on the YouTube page. See you next week, people. I, li- I like that he finally came up with the closing. There you go. So that is this episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast or soon to be renamed the PeerCast. We'll talk to you next time.